turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We end today what has been a long journey through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church at Ephesus, a church that he loved so much. And let me say this, as we come to this text, what might seem to some of you to be just closing remarks and then add on, I want you to know that none of these remarks are ancillary. None of these remarks are just happenstance. Our doctrine of Scripture tells us that the very words of God, we believe in the, the inspiration of the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit, that they're the very words of God. And we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scripture, meaning that every single word is not there by accident. They're not incidental. The very words that God used through human agency on every single page, every single word was put there by God. What we're going to read this morning matters. It's not just closing remarks. These are the very words that Paul saw fit to end his letter with and that an eternal sovereign God saw fit that you and I would hear on this day, this morning. We should come with anticipation. Paul's going to summarize this letter by reinforcing the things in the end that he hopes the church. It's actually a heavenly wish. It ends up being a benediction, a prayer that he's trusting that God will work into the hearts of these very people so that they can stand secure, so they can be vigilant and remain a faithful church all the way to the end. So Paul is going to end with these very particular themes. He loves these people dearly, and he's closing this letter with summary statements of, of everything he said so far in the form of a longing prayer of benediction and hope for the saints at Ephesus. Now with that in mind, would you read with me Ephesians 6, starting at verse 18. Sorry, I turned to a flip lens. Let me, let's try this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace 
to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Or as the ESV says, an incorruptible love. Oh Father, send your spirit now in these few minutes we have. Capture our minds, our hearts. Make us the church that you intend for us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Thanksgiving week. And many of you are already starting to think about all the necessary ingredients it takes to put together the perfect meal. You're thinking to yourselves all the essential things you must have if the Thanksgiving meal is going to be what you dream it could be and could really be. I'm not much of a cook myself. I don't understand, never been one. I remember in high school, I was gonna make scratch cookies. And I said to my mom, I called her, I was home with some friends, and I said, hey mom, where do we keep the dough? And there was silence on the other end of the phone. I didn't understand. I, I was, thought I was doing right. Now, I grew up in South Carolina. We were 50th in education, but I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to understand. I've messed up a lot of things. Evidently, there's a big difference between teaspoons and tablespoons when it comes to ingredients. Not much of a cook, but those of you who know what you're doing want to have the perfect ingredients so that it turns out the best way it can. And here's Paul, and he's closing this letter. The same Paul who in Acts, we understand, when he left the Ephesian church, the elders and Paul himself were weeping. Their love for each other was so big. And here's Paul in prison, and he's closing this letter, and he says to the church, here are the five things, the five ingredients for a healthy church. Now, he doesn't use those words. Those are mine. But five statements, five themes come out of these last words here that I want you to see. If the church is going to endure and be a healthy church, they've got to be rock solid in these five things. So the bulletin has an outline for you if you want it. The first is praying in the Spirit continually. Now, if we're going to be the faithful church that endures and is steadfast to the end, we have to be a church, the Ephesians had to be a church that prays continually in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now these themes, as I mentioned to you, have already been in Paul's letter. Look at, or just listen to me as I read Paul say from Philippians chapter, or Ephesians rather, chapter 1, 16 through 18. Paul says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of your glorious inheritance. Chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. And he goes on to say, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may know all that is yours in Christ. You see, this was Paul's own practice. 
Continual prayer. We know this from 1 Thessalonians as well, where Paul says, pray continually, without ceasing. This was a burden of Paul's heart for the church. And he's saying to them in the end, if you're going to make it, you have to be a church that never stops praying. Pray in the Spirit. Now look, did you see all that's here? Pray in the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, all, 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 everything, everything, everything. Look at what he says here, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, and always being alert, praying for all the saints, and pray for me also. Listen, every single one of you would say this morning, myself included, prayer is so important. And every single one of us is terrible at it. I once heard someone tell us that the reason we're so poor at prayer is because Satan knows the power of prayer. And he's working overtime to keep us from praying. But Paul says, I need you to know, church, if you're going to be faithful to the end, you've got to be committed to continual prayer. And church, you've got to pray. You've got to pray in the morning. You've got to pray all day long. You've got to pray at night. You've got to pray with your spouses. You've got to pray with your children. You've got to come to uh, missionary prayer bands. You've got to start your day of prayer. You get your office staff together and you pray. You pray and you pray and you pray because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We already saw that earlier in chapter 6. Paul says we've got to be a praying church. And then Paul says pray not only for each other, and for every missionary, pray also for me. Here's Paul in prison writing this letter, and he says, if I'm going to make it, if we're going to make it, we've got to pray for each other, pastors and people. Pray that your ministers who preach to you would be so filled with the Spirit that they would proclaim the mystery of the gospel, Paul says. Those things that are only understood if the Spirit makes them understood to us. Pray for each other. Pray for your, prayer, your pastors. Now listen, think about this just for a minute. This, this hit me this week. If the Apostle Paul, that's Paul, remember Paul, and an Apostle, if he's saying he's a preacher who needs your prayers, what about the second-rate preachers you got around here? How much more do we need your prayers? Goodness gracious, I hope you're praying. You understand the stakes that we're dealing with every time the Word of God is open for perishing souls and families that are falling apart. Do you understand the angst of a Saturday when it's your day to preach the next day? Do you understand the fear, the intimidation, the insecurity, how, how your pastors don't feel like they have any, in any way what it takes to do what they're called to do? How are people going to do it? If Paul needed the prayer, have I made my point? We need the prayer too. Pray, pray, pray. I don't have time to keep going with that one. So, Secondly, Serve the church faithfully all the way to the end and don't stop. We have got to be a people that serve the church, all of us, with all of our different gifts, faithfully, never giving up, doing whatever God has called us to do because the church is the institution that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. The church is eternal. 
And everything else you're doing in your life should be setting you up to serve the church and reach the lost. Because the church is eternal and souls are eternal and God's word is eternal. And therefore, what happens in the church is everything. It's not just an addendum to your life. Serve your church faithfully. Now, Paul, he says, I became, chapter 3, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. Chapter 4, 11 and 12, Christ gave the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. And then there's this guy named Tychicus that you didn't even know how to say his name. You're wondering if I'm pronouncing it correctly. He doesn't get a lot of press. We don't know a lot about him. He was born in Asia Minor. And he was a faithful companion and servant and brother to Paul at every step of the way. And the only reason the church at Ephesus has this letter and the church of Colossae and the church and Philemon, the only reason those letters got presented to these churches, to these peoples, is because Tychicus brought the letters. And Paul says of Tychicus, he is a faithful servant and a dear brother. So Paul modeled serving the church and giving his life for the church. Tychicus, who no one knows about, gave his life to serving the church. And the reason we have the gospel according to Ephesians that we've been looking through because, was because Tychicus did what God called him to do. Continually serving the church. Let me just say this in application and move to the third one. This church has a lot of problems. And we, we're not a great, we're, we're, the Lord has been really faithful to this church. And you and I, if you're my age and younger, we stand today on the foundation that faithful generations have gone ahead of us and provided for us. Don't let us squander what God has given us here. This church was built on the faithful prayers and service of a generation that has gone before us. Some of them are tired today. It's not okay for us to coast. We have to take the baton and serve faithfully as long as God leaves us here in every role. You're an usher, you're a greeter, you're in the nursery, you're doing catechism. We've got to stock the children's ministry. We've got to reach, uh, care for our missionaries. We've got to go to the nations. We stand on the shoulders in this church of people who have given their lives for it, not for their good, but God's faithfulness here is because of those who've gone ahead and served faithfully. We have to do our part. I can't say any more about that. Thirdly, We've got to encourage one another continually. Did you see why Paul was sending Tychicus to the church at Ephesus? I want you to know everything that I'm doing. I'm sending him for this very purpose, verse 22. You may know how we are that he may encourage you. Tychicus was there to encourage Paul. 
And now Paul, because he loves the church at Ephesus so much, is sending Tychicus so that they can hear the stories of what God is doing, encouraging stories of the work of the Lord, and their faith will be strengthened. And they can hear, too, that Paul's okay. Paul understands that mutual encouragement is essential. I heard many years ago the phrase, pain in every pew. If I were to take the time to scan and glance every pew, I could tell you the stories of the brokenness and the hurt that are in every single pew that I know of. And I don't know a tenth of all the struggle that's going on. People in the pews next to you are hanging on for dear life. They're afraid. They're lonely. They're discouraged. They want to throw in the towel. The ministry of encouragement to the saints is the only thing that's going to keep us going until the end. I, uh, Paul said in Galatians 6, by the way, bear one another's burdens, that we're supposed to enter into the disappointment and the fear and the addiction and the mental health issues and the struggles and the broken families and the, the needs that are all around us with the ministry of encouragement. I had uh, just recently, well, it's just been a while now uh, ago, that there was a, a single mom in the church and uh, with one of her children, and, and uh, I just happened to see this mom and this child and, and happened to solve a problem in that moment that uh, wasn't because I was any good or I'm somebody special. It just was easy. It was zero effort to solve the problem. I got a text in the week, and the, the last line of the text that was a positive text and a positive line said this. In that moment, I felt the men of the church stepping in to do something a husband would have taken care of. It stuck my heart to think the needs around us all the time are so great. And it's our job to meet those needs and bring encouragement to one another. This week I read an article from Christianity Today. The title was, The Pastors Aren't All Right. The article said that at this point, 38% of pastors statistically are thinking about leaving the ministry. Now I'm not, this, don't feel sorry for me. This is not a call to, you know, I mean you can make me cookies and stuff, but this is not, you know, this, um, Christmas is coming soon. I'm just kidding. But listen, uh, this is not a call that I need anything I don't. God in his mercy has been so gracious. But I want you to hear that all the people who are your spiritual leaders are also with great need and need encouragement as well. That's the only point with that. We've got to move on. Number four, not only do we pray continually and serve faithfully, encourage one another continually, Paul knows that we have to experience God's blessing increasingly. So that's why Paul here leaves them with this good word of blessing, a benediction that we leave you with at the end of every one of our services. Paul says this, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Great to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Simply, let me say this is what this is saying. Paul knows that for us to endure 
and do the things that we're called to do, those don't come from within us. Those come from outside of us. And those come only as we increasingly understand the peace, the shalom, the blessing, the fulfillment, the wholeness that we are in Christ. The grace and love that we've received from Christ that we respond to by faith as we become increasingly more and more attuned to the peace of God, the peace that is ours between, uh, between us and God, and the peace that translates between us and one another as we live in the realm of God's peace. And by the way, he's talked about that a lot already in Ephesians. I won't take you back to it. But as we experience the peace and shalom and blessing of God, and we pass that shalom and peace to one another. And as we experience again and again how God and his grace has rescued us and that needs its way deep into our hearts and we extend that grace to one another. And as we are overwhelmed by the love of God over and over and over and extend that love to one another, Paul's saying, I'm wishing with a heavenly wish, a gospel hope that the peace of God and the love of God and the grace of God will increasingly fill your hearts and lives. With every one of these horizontal prayers of Paul, he knows there's a vertical dimension to this. That's what transforms the church. As we experience the shalom of God, we live at peace with one another. As we experience the love of God, we express the love to one another. As we experience belief and faith in God, our faith buoys one another. As we experience and grow in contemplating the grace of God, we grow in emulating the grace of God. This is Paul's prayer for a church, his final words. Uh, can I just say this about peace? The gospel of Jesus Christ should have so transformed the church that what we've experienced in the last few years would be unthinkable in the people of God. Everybody's so angry. There's such division. There's such skepticism, misjudging one another, such accusations, such gossip, such hatred, such cruelty. All the things, by the way, that Paul said in chapter 4, verse 3, we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All of these things, masks, CRT, politics, race, vaccines. We've lost so many friends and so many relationships have been broken over stuff that is incidental because the peace of God has not ruled in our hearts. I could go on and on about that, but how many people now dislike each other that were once brothers and sisters in the church? How many people now shun others or think bad thoughts about others because of secondary issues that have disrupted the peace and the love and the grace 
of the church. I'll leave that with you. Last thing, number five. The church is only going to be faithful to the end if we grow to love Jesus Christ incorruptibly. That Jesus Christ, once again, and always remains central to every person in the church. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We are servants of King Jesus. It's all about him from beginning to end. In every way, he's not just a part of our lives. He is our lives. And if Jesus is ever removed from the center of our lives, the whole thing falls apart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ crucified. That Jesus and the message of the gospel is the point. And living in light of the work of Christ is the point. The point is not a religion. The point is the person of Christ. That we love him and know him and make him known. And Paul says here, he closes it with this, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I was talking to another parent recently whose two older children are not currently walking with the Lord. Children who were baptized here, who grew up under the preaching of the gospel for years and years and years. And together we were lamenting and we said, and this is the truth, there's nothing in my life I want, there's nothing else I want than to know that one day my children are walking with Jesus and love Jesus passionately. I don't want anything else in life. Now, there's a lot I like, and I'll take whatever the Lord gives me, but the one thing I long for is that I would truly love Jesus and all my children, my grandchildren, all the descendants that the Lord gives me until he returns would be passionate lovers of Jesus. And Paul says, unless we love Jesus with an undying love, we won't be standing firm in the end. Jesus has to become central to all that we are. Uh, by the way, one little application, and then we'll stop. Each of these things in your bulletin, praying continually, serving faithfully, encouraging continually, experiencing in, uh, God's blessing increasingly, and je loving Jesus Christ incorruptibly. Those are also how you build a healthy marriage. Commit to those and watch how your marriage flourishes as well, your family flourishes as well. I read in my devotions this week when Mary poured that expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the disciples and Judas are all thinking what a waste it is. And Judas, of course, is, is being duplicitous. And uh, there's another text where presumably this same woman pours perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. And Jesus says, leave her alone. 
she has done something beautiful to me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And in tears again on my knees, that's what I said. Lord, if you give me a year or you give me 40 more years of life, I just want my love for you to be so passionate, that of Mary's, that I would hear you say, your love for me is beautiful. Let's pray together. Lord, we do love you. We want to love you. We want to be a faithful church. Send your Holy Spirit to work the gospel of grace so deep into our hearts and lives that we would be that church that is beautiful to you, individually and corporately, and cause us to love our Savior Jesus because of his great love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.